you know what, I'm going to go out on a walk to walk off some of these cookies that I just ate. And you're out and about, and you see this kid on his hustle with a lemonade stand out there. And you're just thinking, oh, this is so cute. He's just trying to fund his video game purchase. Sure, I know it's watered down, six-ounce cup lemonade mix, but I'll take three cups for $2 a piece, right? And I'll bring some home to my family. And so you're just kind of in a good mood. You get home with your lemonade, you're sipping on, and all of a sudden there is a knock at the door, and you're like thinking, man, all this human interaction today, and you open up the door, and there is a college student canvassing for the upcoming midterm elections. Still in a good mood? (laughs) No! If you're anything like me, you probably like slam the door shut, get off my lawn, okay? Now, what's the difference between those three interactions. What I've been thinking about is when it comes down to it, if you want something from me, I'm going to have to trust you. It all comes down to trust. But the problem is trust is a thing that isn't really in high commodity these days. It's hard to give our trust away. We're inundated with information and influences in advertising like almost every minute of every day to the point where in our relationships and the things that we believe, we're all just kind of reluctant. Reluctant, that's kind of an important word. What do we mean when we're talking about reluctant? If we're just going strictly off of definition, we would say this, a reluctant person is unwilling and hesitant, or just disinclined. Now, let me be clear. I'm not saying that all forms of reluctance are bad. You know, if it's 5 o'clock, I'm reluctant to play in traffic, right? Kind of a good life decision. Uh, If I'm going to Buffalo Wild Wings, I'm reluctant to eat the Blazing Wings because I would like to eat my food and taste it any time the next couple of weeks, right? Not all forms of reluctance are bad, And being reluctant, it's just, if we're being honest, it's kind of in vogue right now. It's popular to be skeptical of stuff. And so I wanted to introduce you to a friend of my mind, and his name is Skeptical Cat. Isn't he a cute little fella? Old Skeptical Cat, fraught with skepticism, constantly questioning everything. I mean, he was really cool and just trusting, but then he found out that the humans were behind the laser pointer. And since then... He has just been a different cat, right? And so, if we're being honest, we can kind of be like skeptical cat, thinking, I'm not going to get burnt again. You're not going to get me. I see through all the dirty details to the truth. Now look, that's fine. It's fine to be discerning. But I want to unpack a little bit is what happens when we bring that posture of reluctance to our faith? and particularly to our relationship with the church that we call our home. Kind of like we talked about in week one of All In, sure, we'll gather, we'll get together, we'll worship. It's fun to celebrate and to praise God and to listen to music and even hear a message. In week two, we talked about this idea of being all in to grow. And sure, I don't think many of us are too reluctant to grow. I mean, sure, some of us are introverts and some of us don't like the idea of like stepping out and meeting new people we don't know, but... Once you get to the point where you recognize the value of friendships and community, sure, you'll take a step out, and you'll build some relationships, you'll get in a group. But today, we are entering into a conversation about giving. Now, let's all give ourselves permission to groan really quickly. One, two, three, giving. Oh, oh, seriously, 
today? Really? On a holiday weekend? Really? Giving. Isn't that something that we're all reluctant to talk about, if we're being honest? And truth be told, if we're going to have a conversation about being all in to give, the first and foremost thing has got to be us redeeming that word, giving. Now, when we talk about giving, of course, we're talking about something that touches our pocketbook. That's part of the equation. But generosity and giving, it is so much more than that. Giving is a lifestyle that we're convinced God wants for us, not from us. So when we talk about giving, our definition is this. Giving is simply a lifestyle of being generous with our time, our talents, and our treasure. And here's the thing. When we untap that secret, when we recognize that it's not just about the money slice of the pie, and everything we have and everything that we are is on the table before God saying, God, use me, it'll change absolutely everything in our lives. But again, there may not be a single thing that we're more skeptical of talking about than giving in the context of the local church. And there are a lot of good reasons for that, quite frankly. Maybe you were like the superstar servant at your church, and you recognize after a while that really no one cared about you beyond you just completing the task that needed to get done. And so you got burnt out a little bit. Or maybe you hopped in to serve and to give of your passions and to give of your gifts, and you recognize, man, this is more just like going through the motions than me actually doing something I'm passionate about. Or maybe you even got to the point where you were being generous with your resources, but you come to find out that the church was actually mismanaging that money, or you figured out that really that's all they were motivated by at the end of the day. Because we've got to be honest. If you're here today and that's you, just thank you for joining us today. Because I guess I want to say I've been through all those stages of disillusionment when it comes to being generous, specifically in the context of the local church. But all that's fair and all that's cool, but the problem that begins to happen is this. A lot of the times when we exude reluctance, and we bring that to our relationship with God. What we think that we're doing is we're bringing back control onto our plate. We think we're grasping back control of our lives. But here's what happens. When we exude reluctance, it begins to actually take control of us. And it begins to seep into every area of our lives. And all of a sudden, we're walking around with like the old skeptical cat look on my face. I know the laser isn't real. All right? Now look, whatever our motives, we've just come to believe that being reluctant with our time, our talent, and our treasure, it's not the lifestyle that God wants for us. He wants us to live and thrive from a place of trust. And so today, this is our big idea. Simply, our ability to trust both God and our local church, our ability to trust God and our local church, significantly impacts our generosity with both our time, our talent, and our treasure. When we're trusting, we're generous. So over the course of the All In series, we talked about the baby steps of the early church so far. 
We talked about their priorities and the things that they emphasized as practices. And there was something truly special going on. But as the church continued to grow, things got even better. See, in a divided and harsh world, there was a type of care and community present in this early church that had never been seen anywhere else in the entire world. And it was clear what this new people gathered together, growing together, it was clear what they valued. And so today we're going to be in the book of Acts. It's the fifth book of the New Testament. It's after the book of John. If you want to turn there, we're going to start in chapter 2. But we've read this before. It'll be on the screen. I just kind of want to root us back in where we've been. So this is verses 44 and 45. It says this, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. See, the early church, they valued and cared for people, period. They had a whatever-it-takes attitude because they believed that everyone needed to experience the love of Jesus in a real and tangible way. And so following Jesus for the early church, it wasn't just a matter of a private, personal affair. See, they were the opposite of reluctant with the things they believed and the things they were passionate about. And so I got to ask, when it comes to reluctance, uh, who has ever played youth sports at any point in their life? Youth sports by a raise of hands. Cool? Cool. What about like high school or college sports? Anyone out there? Awesome. Okay, for the rest of you, have you heard of sports before? Um, I promise this is going to relate. Really, you're going to see this clearly in just a second. So I played two years of youth baseball in third and fourth grade. And one of the reasons that I quit is because, A, I was terrible, but, B, I got hit with the baseball more than any kid, I swear, in the entire league. You know, like going up into the batter's box, clink. I literally got hit in the helmet one time. Like, what is the deal with that? Like, the pitch is coming at, like, 25 miles an hour. I should have been able to get out of the way. Sitting, and for a reason, they thought they would put me in the catcher's position, Right? Getting hit on the backswing by these little league batters, clink, over and over again. And finally, they put me at third base, and I'm fielding just a can of corn ground ball, easy thing. And it hits a rock, and no joke, hits me right in the forehead, right? You know the reason why that kept happening to me over and over again? I was afraid of the baseball <laughs> And you know, in life, the things that we dread, or even the good things that we dwell on, they have a way of coming to pass and happening in our life, whether for good or for bad. And here's the thing that you learn. Whether it's on the field or on the court, in any type of sport, reluctance begins to become a liability at the end of the day. But when it came to the early church, the things they believed, the things they knew, the fundamentals, if you will, they were the opposite of afraid. Their faith wasn't stuck in their hearts and minds. They actively, no, they proactively lived out the things they believed. So we're going to hop forward to Acts chapter 4 because as things continued to grow and mature, it got better and better. So this is Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 37. This is what it says. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. 
With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money to, from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. And this is really cool. It says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold the field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Wow. I mean, this wasn't just a generalized thing that they made up. There were real people with real names who sold their property and possessions for those in need. And so some things stay the same from our first picture of the church to our picture today. So the first passage says the believers were together and they had everything in common. And even here, we just read the passage said they were one in heart and mind. See, the church, they were a people who sacrificed for one another and they truly loved one another. And this is where we're going to begin to see that actions speak louder in words. Because all their talent, all their treasure, all their time, was on the table before God and saying, here, God, use me. But we got to be careful because we got to recognize that it wasn't just anything that was motivating them to do what they were doing. What was fueling them was the fact that Jesus was alive. You know, when we come to the reality that Jesus is alive, that death doesn't have the final word, that sin can't hold us in shackles and chains forever, that hope is real and living, man, your stuff and your status, they can't hang on to you when the hope of Jesus is in your heart. It just spills out all over the place. There's no reason not to give everything away when Jesus is alive. And he's just alive today as the day that the stone rolled away. I mean, can you imagine Jesus, the Son of God, the suffering servant, what it would be like if you watched him die and then you saw him walking around with holes in his hands alive? Would that not totally flip your view of the world upside down? How could you even hang on to your senses? How could you live a normal life ever again if you knew that Jesus was alive. But hey, reality check real quick. He is. He is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, ruling over all things. And if we know that that's the case, man, it'll wreck our lives in the most incredible way. Now, just a couple of weeks ago, my wife and I had a free Saturday. And so, uh, like any great millennial couple, we went to Ikea in Schaumburg, right? And I'm happy to report I made it out alive. Thank you for your concern. I appreciate that. But what, when we got up there, we recognized we were actually seven miles away from this place that you may be familiar with. It's actually called Willow Creek Community Church. And if you've ever heard about Willow before, uh, they've been one of the most influential churches in the entire history of our country and just changing the way that we worship, changing the way that we engage people who aren't a part of the church. But one of the unfortunate things about what was going on in that church community when we hopped up there is just that week, an article had come out in the New York Times levying some serious accusations 
about the character of their founding pastor. And so really, we were just going there to learn and experience what church was like there, but we kind of entered into this community that was mourning, grieving, not sure what to do. I mean, this guy that we've trusted and who has led us, man, what, what is church supposed to be now that this stuff has all come out? And so we were sitting in service, and the pastor who was up on stage got up and said, hey, we're moving into our time of giving. And they broke into thunderous applause. Like, what? Not, not just any applause. I'm talking like sustained applause. And I'm sitting there thinking, have these people lost their minds? Don't they know what's going on in church right now? Or like, hey, um, what's going on? You know, I don't think any of that's true. I don't think they had lost their minds. What I think was going on is that when a people is captivated by Jesus and his mission and his life and his resurrection, there isn't a single poison pill that life has to offer that can drag down the joy of that community. And it wasn't just generosity with their finances. I mean, we walked into the building, and they didn't know I was a pastor just coming to check things out. For all they knew, I could have been someone who was darkening the doors of a church for the first time, and real volunteers pulled my wife and I aside and commented on how cute our baby was and listened to us and talked to us. And then when we dropped our kid off at the nursery, late, mind you, they were made us to feel like it was a hospitable experience, that we weren't a burden and that they were there to make us feel safe and secure as a family. And so I wonder if you recognize this. Every Sunday, there are at least a handful of new people who have never been here at first that walk through our doors. Just a couple of weeks ago, it was 21 people. Isn't that incredible? Over the course of a year, there could be a 1,000 people who have never been here that would just walk through the doors, checking out this whole Jesus thing. And let me tell you, it makes a difference every single time a guest services volunteer smiles and greets someone. It makes a difference every single time a worship volunteer who gets up here and raises their hands and praises and then goes right out into the lobby and connects with people just like another regular person. It makes a difference every single time that we instill confidence in a parent. It makes a difference every single time where a youth worker at first inspires a student to grow in their relationship with God. And so let me ask you, if you're not all in to serve with your time here at first, what is the thing that is stopping you? I mean, every single month, like clockwork, at 8.30 in the morning, we have something that we call First Serve. It's the third Sunday of every month at 8.30. It's just a 30-minute experience where we walk around, we tour our different ministry departments, and we plug you in in a place where you can serve and make a difference. And so I'm wondering today, what if we all hopped all in to serve with our time. Would that make a dent in a difference in the lives of real people who decide to come and check out first for the first time? Something you can do for me is you can take out that connection card. You can write that little bubble that says first serve, and we would love to see you on September 15th right there. Now, when it comes to public acts of generosity, whether that is with our time or with our treasure or our talent, I gotta be clear, none of this is talking about us making a name for ourselves. None of it is talking about claiming fame for us. Far from it, 
If we're paying attention to the example of the early church, we have to be clear that they were focused on loving God and loving people, period. And it showed up in really tangible ways. And so if we're going to be that type of church, we've got to pay attention and apply what this looks like from God's word to today. And so we've got to ask ourselves, what does a generous church look like? This is the first thing we notice. A generous church is always on a mission. You may think we talk about the mission of Jesus until we're blue in the face, and that is on purpose, okay? Jesus said two things about the reason why he came to this earth. He said he came to seek and save that which is lost, and he came to serve, not to be served, and to give his life as a ransom for the sins of the world. And so when we talk about generosity, that's what we mean. We mean looking at Jesus' life and saying, I'm going to live like that. It's not just a spiritual checklist. It's not just a tax benefit or a status booster. When we talk about giving, it's going to touch our pocketbook, but it is supposed to touch every single nook and cranny of our lives. We get to this point where we look at God with our lives offered up fully to him and say, how can you use us to be like Jesus? The other thing we notice is that a generous church is fully surrendered. See, when it comes to giving, we really got to check our motivation. Is this about something that I can get in return, or is this about honestly giving God the glory so other people can experience his love? Now, I'm sure if you haven't experienced this yet in life, that you will at some point be up watching a late-night television program, and it'll end at 1 in the morning, and some preacher will get on there, and he'll say something to you like, hey, if you just place your hand on the TV set, and submit that donation of 1995, the Lord will bring you a tremendous blessing that you've never experienced in your life. Now, forgive my televangelist voice there for a second, but what I'm talking about is this is obviously not the reason we give. We don't give for what we can get. It's not like a genie in a bottle that we got to rub the right way. You know what I'm talking about? This is not our relationship with God when it comes to generosity. When it comes down to it, whether it's our time, our talent, our treasures, we got to be asking, is this about God and his glory or is it about what I can get in return? Third thing that we notice about a generous church is that they are there for one another. So just let these words of the passage we read this morning sink into your soul. There were no needy persons among them. Can we honestly say that's the truth about us? I mean, what I'm not talking about is like church-mandated socialism. I'm not going that route. But when we serve and give, it is clear that God becomes more real to people in tangible ways where they can grow in their trust and relationship with him. And we know that the way we serve and the way that we give and the way that we treat others, the way we love others, is the clearest representation of our faith that we could ever give in life. And so maybe you're sitting there today, arms crossed, eyebrows furled, thinking, I haven't experienced that type of generosity in the church. Can I give you a word of encouragement? Have you sincerely given a group a shot? A couple of things from my life. I've been in a men's group the last couple of years. It's a group of guys that always look out for me, always pray for me, But beyond that, one of the guys in my group found out 
that I've been driving around a beater car for a couple of years that hasn't had a functioning radio. And so he found out what the aftermarket radio was for that car, bought it, installed it, and would not let me give him a single penny. That's what happens when you invest in real relationships in the church. Still yet, my wife and I, we were part of a couples group together. And one night, we went prepared to, you know, I'm the leader of the group, so I'm prepared to give a sage lesson and change everyone's lives, right? And so I show up, and they have punted the whole lesson plan because they have thrown, at the time we were expecting our first child, a surprise baby shower for us with a cake and all these gifts just because they love us. Man, I want that for you. I want you to experience life and relationship and community where you can tangibly feel and experience the love of God. And maybe this is the case. Maybe you're not supposed to join a group for what you can get, but maybe God wants to open up your life and your heart to give to someone and to be a blessing to someone else. So when we say, hey, grab out your phone and scroll down on our website, fcc-online.org, and click on the sign up group link button here, we mean it because it'll change your life. And it means something to be a part of a church that is truly there for one another. Last thing we notice about a generous church is that they're full of faith. I mean, this dude Barnabas, right? A real person sells his property, gives the proceeds to the leaders of the church, but he didn't stop there. Do you know about Barnabas that he spent the rest of his life traveling around the Mediterranean seaboard telling as many people as he possibly could, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Sin and death have been defeated. You can live forever because of Jesus. Man, I didn't grow up with a Barnabas in my life, but I did grow up with a Janie Thompson, my mother. You know, you should have seen my eyes get as big as half dollars when I would watch her write out the check she would and fold it up and put it in the offering plate and just give it away like it was growing on trees, right? You know, I grew up in a single-parent home. I knew what our resources were. And I'm sitting here thinking like, Mom, I would like a new pair of Jordans at some point or another, okay? But you know what my mom recognized? She recognized that what we can do together through our generosity in the church, when we put our faith and trust actively lived in God, we can do so much more together than we could ever do apart. And God moves in incredible ways when people full of faith step forward and say, God, here's my time, here's my talent, here's my treasure. And what we mean is that trust lived out That's actually what faith is. Faith isn't something that just sits inside your cranium. It's something that gets lived and breathed out in real life. And it makes a difference. And the thing I want to tell you is that this isn't just something that we talk about here at first. It is being lived out by real people. And so we want to share a story of a family with you that's all in to give. Hey, I'm Joel. I'm Sarah, and this is our all-in story. For me, I grew up in the church, and I watched my dad lead sacrificially throughout my entire childhood. So for me, leading or being a part of a ministry, being a part of a service, has always been something that I've known, something that I've um, witnessed. So when I started joining a church, I didn't really 
first of all, start and get all in. I just kind of sat in the back and I realized the church seemed so big or it didn't seem like I really fit in. So I just took those steps and I started serving and I started doing that for myself and not you know, living vicariously through my dad. And that's when I realized that serving is bigger than me. It's not about me. It's God has given me a bigger purpose by stepping in and fulfilling what he has called me to do. Our eight-year-old is so interested. He, he's, he loves being in the children's ministry, but now he wants to be able to help. He's like, can I run camera? Can I run sound? I wanna help, I wanna learn. And it's just really encouraging seeing them getting involved and stepping out. And I know that that's where, where I got it from because I watched my dad. People see you give, it's, it's motivating, you know? People see, uh, people see us get up there and go all in. People are like, man, I can do that. I, think I can do that, I can do a little bit of that, you know? That motivates me to give more. I'm like, wow, I just, I just gave a little bit and look what God just did with it. We're not just checking something off a list, you know? Okay, all right, uh, I play guitar to, uh, today. Uh, I practice my music today. It's not like that, you know? We're, we're in a lifestyle of, of obedience, you know? This is a mindset. This is a fully encompassing way of thinking, way of living. For me, I've, um, it's, it's made me a better mom, a better example to my kids, and um, it's made me a better friend. So it's not just about me, it's about God's purpose and what he's wanting to do in the church. It's all his anyway, right? So here's something I want to make clear. You know, I've known Joel and Sarah personally for a couple of years, and they're just good people. They're fun to be around. But what's been incredible to watch is the way they've gone from being good people to being good people who are just thriving. And it's an incredible thing to witness and watch. But let me be clear. This isn't about Joel's glory. This isn't about Sarah's glory. This isn't about any of us taking the glory, throwing on the all-in t-shirt like it's a feather in our cap or something like that. This is about what happens when a group of people can't shake the truth that Jesus is alive. And it's what begins to ripple in to Champaign County, to East Central Illinois, and the ends of the earth, because we can't keep our hope inside of us. We're just giving stuff away like crazy. We're giving away our time. We're giving away our talent. We're giving away our treasure because, man, it's too good to keep to yourself. And so let me ask you, what reluctance domino in your life needs to fall for you and tap this secret that generosity is not something that God wants from you. Can I say that louder for the people in the back? Generosity is not something that God wants from you. It is a lifestyle that God wants for you. And so ultimately, we give and respond in this time every week because we believe our generosity, our gifts are an act of worship to God. And so something I want you to pay attention to, when you walked in, you maybe sat down on or picked up a little sheet of paper and it says the engagement pathway and strategy, we call it the nine. See, all of us, regardless of how mature or whatever baby steps we're at in our faith, 
have a next step that we can take. Whether that's being all in to gather and to worship, whether that's being all in to grow and to step forward and find community, whether that means giving of our time, our talent, or our treasure, or whether that means multiplying the mission of Jesus by saying, hey, I'm a group leader, but we're gonna make this a couple of groups this year so more people can belong. Or it's us looking and saying, hey, you know what? Like two church locations aren't enough when there is 80% of our community that does not have a relationship with a local church. It means something to us that we would all continue to move forward and be a movement together as a church. And so what we want you to do is to take that little sheet of paper and to pray and to ask God, what would it look like for me to take my next step? Now, as we give and respond, of course, we give of our decisions. If you got that connection card and you've written anything down, you can fold that up and you can drop that in the give and respond box. If you got prayer requests, you can fold that up, drop it in the give and respond boxes. There are two near the back doors and two near the two front doors. But some of us today, we need to think about what it would look like to surrender ourselves to God and say, God, what do you want from me? And so what we have here are prayer benches in front of the auditorium, right at the foot of the stage. Some of you are experiencing conviction and you just need to bring it before God and say, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to give of my time, my talent, and my treasure? Now, something about our church that has really encouraged me is as we have made this transition here recently of giving of our resources, we started using this new thing we call the Give app. And it's kind of funny that you would think that was such a big deal, but it is a monumental challenge a lot of the time to move from one form of giving to another at a church. And you guys have really stepped in. And this is where the shift of mentality has taken place. There are a number of you who are saying, you know what, like being generous, it's a value of me so much so that regardless of whatever my rhythm in life is, I'm going to continue to give and be generous in a recurring way so the mission of Jesus can move forward at first and in Champaign County and East Central Illinois. You know, I ran across some pastors from a church in Arizona recently, and it's a really unique circumstance where there are 800 people that attend that church, but every year, for about six months, they swell up to about 2,000 because the retirement community comes and moves down for the winter. And so there's this very interesting dynamic, and something that was a monumental shift for them is that the people of that congregation became so convicted that although they only lived there for six months of the year, that that shouldn't impact the pattern of their generosity to their local church. And so they all began to give in a recurring way. And there, all of a sudden, a church that looks from the outside in to be about 800 people has more than double the resources they need to do what God has called them to do. And so what do you do when God just plops a huge blessing in your lap? Well, I'll tell you this. When you know that Jesus is alive, you can't hang on to it. You give it away like it's burning a hole in your pocket. And so what this church has decided to do is to just plant a completely autonomous new church and just give away their resources and bless a neighboring community with a church that never would have been there in the first place if a group of people didn't step up and say, we're gonna give no matter what the pattern of our life looks like. 
So as you consider giving and responding today, that would be my challenge to you. What would it look like to make giving such a priority that no matter what, if you're watching online or if you're here on a Sunday or you're taking a vacation, that the mission of Jesus moved forward? Because again, we recognize that we live in a region, even in the middle of what one, some people would consider the Bible Belt, where masses of people do not have a relationship with Jesus. What would it look like if we were all in to give? The most important thing we're gonna do in this time of giving and responding is we are going to celebrate Jesus and his great generosity. The way we do this is by moving to the communion stations that you're gonna see all around the room. You can take that little piece of bread and eat it, representing Jesus' body. You can take that little cup of juice and drink it, representing Jesus' blood. And remember that God literally held nothing back in his great generosity so that we could live forever with him. So would you do this with me? Would you stand for a moment as we prepare to respond? You know, I owe my entire life to God. And there isn't even a close second place. But if there was a distant yet important second place in what I owe my life to, I would say this, I owe it to the local church. Why would I say that? Because of the scores of men and women who walked alongside a kid from a single parent home. Because of the youth workers and leaders that walked around a rebellious and disillusioned high school kid because of the mentors that walked alongside me while I was in college preparing to serve in the church, and because of the countless faces and names who have become family my entire adult life. So let me tell you this. We got a choice. When it comes to generosity, we can continue to walk around like old skeptical cat, prowling about, cockeyed look, or we could step all in to give. I'll tell you which one of those I want to choose. I want to be all in. Let's respond in this time.